I want to share this morning on the fruit of believe. There's a saying that says, I think, therefore I am. What that means is that you are conscious. That's the only real thing that you're aware of. You're in a room with a group of people. You hear my voice, but we don't know the mechanics of all that. And what I'm saying is when Jesus quotes scriptures and he says things like, or Paul, like we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, it's not enough just to intellectually go, yes. You have to know what that means and experience what that means in order for it to be valid to you. Is that true? It has to be. Otherwise, what is the point of it all? Right? I don't want to just talk about Jesus, a historical Jesus in the Bible. I want to know him. I want to hear his voice. I want to know how he feels about things. I want to hang out with him. That's a great deal difference than knowing about him. Right? And so when these scriptures come to us, they're not coming to us as um, mental agreement. They're coming to us as light to lead you somewhere. They always have practicality. Always. It's not good enough to memorize the Bible. It won't even help you. It won't even get you saved. Otherwise, Lucifer would have never did what he did. He knows the Bible backwards and forwards. In fact, most people in the occult can quote it backwards. Isn't that pretty good? The devil can quote the Bible backwards. You ever see anybody who can do it better than that? No. But does he have any understanding and any light of it? Most of it, probably not. But we can. Consciousness. I'm conscious. That I know. That makes me real and alive. Do you realize that? That's what stands out more than anything. Is my body really here? What is it really? Where am I standing? What is going on? All those things are up for debate, according to physicists and things that you study. So I don't even care about those things at the moment. I care about this one thing. I'm conscious. That happened at my birth, and it's going on. And I'm moving through something. Now, there's a greater consciousness called I am. That's God. Now, the cool thing about this is I am part of the greater consciousness. Do you realize that? Now, try to break this down to understand this. I was, I was talking to the Lord about it the, the other day, and he talked to me about multitasking. And he said, it's like, um, girls are good at this. They can multitask. Name two or th- Sue, name two or three things you can do at one time, just randomly. Like, talk to me. Right. She could talk on the phone, be cooking, and doing some exercise all at the same time. Now, as men, we're not so good at that, are we? From delivering a package. Yeah. You know you're going to get out of there. Yeah. He's on the phone. You're going to wait. Yes. 
Okay. I'm giving you this, and I know this won't be the complete truth of this thing, but I want you to catch a glimpse of something that will help you to begin to kind of entertain or step into what does this mean? I am in Christ, Christ is in me, and we are one. You can't separate me from Jesus. You're looking at Jesus right now. I'm looking at him in you. Now, I want to get past the, the thought of it to the experience and the substance of the reality of that where I finally understand, which means understand not in my head, but in the experience of it when I'm looking at you. Now, let's think about God as a multitasker. He's multitasking in this room through all of us right now. He's multitasking there by doing something here. He's doing something there. He's doing something there. He's doing something there. And he's doing something there all at the same time. I know that's a little boggly, but think about it. If I'm a light, I'm part of a greater light. And when I, my spirit leaves my body, it enters back into the greater light. Because it's part of him. What did God do? He breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. The life that was in God is in Adam. Do you see? I am in Christ. Christ is in me, and we're one. What has sin consciousness done? What is the great lie of humanity that we're separate and what is it that you're trying to get? Religion is trying to get back to God. Yes. Make sure you're right. You can't take communion. That's right. I think, therefore, I am. I first recognize my existence as a consciousness. Then I realize there's a greater consciousness. There's a greater light. And then I realize I'm one in God. And God is one in me. It'll help you to start to find our way through the shadows to the truth of what does that mean by multitasking. It's just a term he gave me so that I could begin to understand. I'm, I'm trying to find, grope my way th through the dark here to something that's way beyond my understanding. What does it mean when he says, you have the mind of Christ? Well, most days you'd say, no, you should, what I think is definitely not what he's thinking. Right? But yet the Scripture can't lie. You have the mind of Jesus Christ. We're trying to learn to prophesy. I think we should go, i got to figure out how not to prophesy because I have his mind. Think about it. Let's look at everything from the opposite direction for once. Try to lay hold of what the heck is actually God saying to us. Let's quit trying to get up somewhere and realize we're already there. I'm not trying to get something from God. I'm trying to realize who I am in Christ. So then I can live out of that without trying to gain something I've already got. You see, we get together when we begin to worship or do that and there, and, and 
we got to get past the stage of trying to believing. And it's in believing, Jesus said, you'll see. You can't work to see. You'll never get it. You have to believe. And if you believe, Jesus said, you will see. Let's talk about that. Hmm. Greek versus Hebrew thought. Greek versus Hebrew thought. This is huge, and God is just starting to really challenge me with this. I know it's a big rabbit hole. I had a vision in 2006 by Tim Hortons. And when I looked out the window of the car, remember what I said? First is the literal, then it goes deeper. Well, he just whacked me this morning with a bit of the deeper. So I'm, I'm by Tim Hortons in the car, just left church at Falstaff's. We're going out to some restaurant. You might have been in the car. We were with Brian, so I don't know what, who was all in there. There was three or four of us in there. I pull up to the lights. You wouldn't have been in the car because you would have been driving. <laughs> so, of course. <laughs> so we pull up. Yes. So I pull up to the lights, and I'm kind of in the presence of the Lord. Well, I am still, right? From the church, I'm still kind of whacked. So I pull up, and I look out the window over Brian, past Brian, at Tim Hortons there. And what I see is these, they're, they're like, um, um, like boxes where you could get the Beacon Herald or whatever, whether they were there or not. I think they were at the time. But as I looked at them, they were all different languages. Sorry, they weren't all different languages. They were a different language. And all of a sudden, I looked around, and, and no kidding, for a moment... It hit me, I was in a completely different country. It's like all of a sudden, I'm in the car, and then I look out the window, and I'm in Korea. And the writing on the buildings is all changed, everything's different. I'm going, holy crap, that is weird, man. Well, do you know what's really wild? Whenever you have a spiritual experience, the experience in itself is of value. That's what we all talk about. God spoke to me last night. I had a dream last night. God's presence came last night. And that's enough for us. We all go, yeah, that's exciting, right? But there's a reason. We, we, that's right. We live off the experience for a while. Not just one of us, all of us. We all nibble at that table, and it's a great table. But there's way more there. It's like there's this massive steak, and all we did is lick it. And we're happy. There's so much more. And so I looked at this as this spiritual experience, and it was like, wow, that was really crazy. It's like I went to another car, you know, or another country. It's like I, what did that, what's that old song about? Um, um, I had a trip and I didn't leave the farm. That's kind of what happened. I had a trip in Brian's car and didn't leave the car. It's like, whoa, that was really good, God. Well, I don't realize how good this really is. What he was telling me was about the religion I was in, and I wasn't from that world. I was in a foreign land, and he was going to bring me home. That's much scarier. He was waking me up, saying, John, look out the window. This is not home. This isn't even my language. I don't even speak this language, John. 
I don't speak your Christian language. I don't speak your religious talk. I don't even think like you do. Korea, Canada, completely different. Hebrew versus Greek. Now, what I want to talk to you about is language is not what makes us different. It's culture. Right? I was talking to Joe about this this morning. It wouldn't be enough for me to learn fluent Spanish and then go to Brazil. I still wouldn't have a clue what's going on. Do you realize that? Does this make sense? Do you know what culture is? I remember in 1976 going to Jamaica. I was a drug addict at the time, still. And God spoke to me in the midst of it all. I had what they call a, I don't even know what you'd call it, like a culture breakdown. It's like I'm there and it was the first time I'd ever left my little comfortable place called Canada and my culture. And so to that point in my life, now I'm a young man, I'm 20-something, early 20s, I thought that it's just a very sunny place, nice palm trees, nice grass. Um, they look different. They have a different colored skin. They speak English, but it's really speeded up in slang, so I'm going to have to really listen to try to hear what they're saying. But basically, I didn't know about culture. And I dropped into a culture that was not Canadian. And my brain skipped a beat. It fried me a bit. Probably because I was stoned all the time I was there as well. But the fact was, it fried me a little bit because I woke up that the world wasn't like Canada. That all the nations on the earth just because they speak different languages, doesn't, that isn't enough. It's a complete different culture. They think differently. They act differently. They, they, their perception of life is completely different because from the day they were born, they've been brought up in a system of the way you look at life. And it's not yours. Do you follow? Okay. Hebrew is not just a language. It's a culture. God picked Hebrew to reveal himself, who he is. Not a language, a culture. And... To be a Jew is to be part of the covenant made with Abraham. Abraham is our forefather. He's the father of faith, not Israel, political Israel. Otherwise, the Muslims, it's their father too. You see? We get all ecstatic about an, a, a plot of land. It's not about the plot of land. It's about the covenant God made with a man called Abraham, the father of faith. You see that? 
We need to quit looking in the physical and start understanding who God is. So what God was saying to me in front of Tim Hortons was this. The kingdom of God is not Canadian culture. The kingdom of God is a, a nation with a culture. And in order to walk in the kingdom, you're going to have to understand culture, who I am. Isn't that amazing? So, <clears throat> I'll touch on that a little bit more shortly. Works or grace? That's one of the battles of Galatians that's in the church right now. But you need to know the difference is we look at it, there's a creed or a deed. Stating what you believe or living that way. I want to talk to you about believing. It's not what you think it is. Works, grace, creed, deed, believe or living. John 10, 37, faith without works. Has this one not ever fried your brain a little bit? Faith without works is absolutely dead. Jesus said, if I do not, listen to what he says, if I do not do the works that my Father does, don't believe me. That's intense. If, you don't, if I don't do what my Father says, don't believe what I'm telling you. It's not what I say, it's what I do. We don't analyze, we live. It is about who we are and what we do. God himself says he's the I am. Do you ever wonder why Jesus cursed the fig tree? The disciples and him are walking along, and he sees this fig tree, and he curses it, and it dies. Why did Jesus curse the fig tree? There was no fruit. Now, I'm going to show you the difference between Hebrew and Greek. God just kind of gave me the revelation of this. I've heard um, Ian talk about it, Ian Clayton, but I, I, I could quote the words, but I didn't understand it really. Until last night, the Lord kind of really kind of hit me with this thing, with the fig tree. We have been taught by a culture of Greek. We're not, that's not, Greek isn't God. God's Hebrew. Hebrew in the sense of the culture of it. What is the difference? Function and form. Function and form. This is the difference of where we're going. We're leaving a form and heading to a function. So every Jew, when they look at something, they're looking for its function. We look for the form. We look and we say, that's a fig tree. Jesus looks and goes, there's no fruit. The tree's not doing what it was supposed to be doing. That's why it's there, to have bare fruit. Curses it and it dies. So do you see what God's doing? Let me put it this way. When we look at a tree, we see a tree... 
we recognize roots to the tree, we see branches, and we see leaves. Right? The Jew looks at it and goes, why is it there? Where's the fruit? They don't care about the branches and the leaves and everything. They're saying, what is the purpose of why it's there? It's for bearing fruit. So they look for the fruit. And if there's no fruit, it's of no value. Now, do you see why when we say, I believe, we're saying, I'm making a, a reason or a rational agreement, conceptual agreement with a belief. I'm seeing the tree. God's saying, where's the fruit? Faith without works is dead. It's that fig tree. So God says, do you believe? I don't need to say it. He says, I'll look at you. Are you living? Are you in the substance of what you say you believe? Are you in the substance of what you say? So if Jesus looked at you right now, is there fruit on the tree? Or should he curse it? Do you see what, if we look at the church at large, and God looks at it, he's looking for fruit. He could care less. He planted it, but if there's no fruit, he doesn't want it. He's going to curse it. It's very important that we begin to see this. Now, we read the scriptures and we hear the prophecies, and the sun will turn um, uh, black like sackcloth and ashes, and the moon blood red, and the stars will fall. And we're waiting for it, right? That's its form. Can we talk about its function? It's language. Let's talk about the function. The other truth you need to recognize in all this is this. Scripture interprets Scripture. You want to know about the sun, the moon, and the stars? Look through the whole Bible, pull all the Scriptures on sun, moon, and stars, and then begin to see. So let me talk about that just for half a second. What do they do? They govern. They're government in the Spirit. Who has bewitched you? Their government. He said He gave the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the, ni- the night. You see what He's talking about here? It's not what you think it is. It's not what you've been told. It's not the books that you've read. That's Greek. They don't even understand Hebrew. They're me going to Brazil. I don't know what they're doing. Or let's drop me in the middle of China. Do I really understand China? They say to me, we're going to bring you a burger in Korea. They want to bless me. So they bring me a burger. I don't know where they found it because they don't eat hamburgers. They may be in the big cities, but only because of us. So they bring me this burger, and it's got some kind of coleslaw on top of it. It's the most grossest thing I've ever ate in my life. And he's standing there with a big smile on his face because he got me a burger. Well, that's not Canadian or American burgers, buddy. You don't even know what a burger is. Yeah, but it's a burger. You see what I mean? God 
is going to mess with us with our menorah that's been a form. This stuff's good, man. This stuff's good. If you can lay a hold of this, believe is your life. God will know them by their fruit. You say you believe? Show me. Let me see you. That's what he says. Don't just gather this information in your head and be in agreement with it because it doesn't mean anything. You must live out what you believe. There has to be substance in your life. Fruit. That's what he's saying. Fruit is the function. So, when we read the Bible from now on, you got to move off the literal. Literal's not going to go anywhere. Don't get all excited about Israel being a time clock. There is so much more to this, man. I'm going to show you a lie this morning that has stopped us from our destiny. And I'm going to give you a picture of who Jesus is in it. One of the things God has been doing is he's... When God, when, when in, in Toronto, when they erected the CN Tower, do you realize they went almost as far down in the ground as they went up? Now, why did they do that? Because the wind blows and that tower better have some foundation in her or she's not going to last, not going to stand, right? So God has been doing something. He wants to take us high on the mountain with him, up high. How many people want to go into the Shekinah glory of God? How many want to have the Father show up so this room you can't even see it because of the light that's in here? You don't even know it exists anymore. That's where I want to live. But I'm only going to get there if there's a foundation built underneath me because that's pretty high up, right? That's where Moses went, right? If I want to go there, God's going to have to build a foundation into me, and I'll tell you what he's been doing. I believe there are at least four. I'm just going to use four. I don't know. I'm just going to use four. Because it's four things he's been doing in me. Four corner posts, you'll call them, of building a structure down deep into the ground so he can go up high. Because if he doesn't do it, the first storm that comes, that means the first people that don't agree with what I might say something, I will be falling over, and that'll be the end of it. There'll be no stability. So what are the four things he's been doing? Some of these he may be doing in your life. One of them is the cross. He's been bringing a lot of revelation about the cross so that I would understand what it is he did for me, in me, and what he's done in the earth. So, great revelation on the cross, and it keeps getting deeper every day because it's an ocean, right? So, he's running that little pillar right on through the globe. Grace. Grace. What is grace? The person of grace. Grace in me that's carrying me. The 200-proof wine that we drink. But grace, that's a pillar. I thought about this this morning, Martin Luther Martin Luther has a revelation of grace, and he brings this, and it starts a war. It's called the Reformation. But I thought about this this morning. Do you know what? Martin gave us something else 
even more powerful than that. Did you know that? And I, I just seen it, but I sidestepped it without recognizing how important it was. Prior to Martin Luther, nobody had a Bible. It was in Latin, and we got it from the priests. They told us what God was and what he says. So we got a bunch of Greeks teaching us, and none of us can compare it to anything. So what does Martin do? He translates the scripture into the language of the laity, the masses. That's massive, man. Think on that for a moment. That's why I'm reading today the Word of God. Even if they did mess with it a little bit. That's why I read a lot of translations. Because I want to find what's really there. I want to know what God was saying when he said the word sky. It may not be what we think it is. So I need to lay hold of what that is. So, Martin, thank you, brother. Thank you very much for the word of the Lord and how many translations we have in the earth today because of his willingness to be obedient to God and break the chain of command of listening to only those guys that told us in Latin what it means. Sonship. To know what it is to be a son of God. And one of the things that has happened in our day, Father Heart of God. Abba, the Father Heart of God. So the cross, the Father Heart of God, grace, and now unfolding sonship. These are the, of the foundation that he's digging way down in the ground for me so that he can erect the building, start erecting the mindsets, what Sue was talking about earlier, erect the building so that when storms come, I'm not going to run for the hills. When somebody says, you know, you should feel guilty. Really? Wow. Can we get the word out and talk about the cross for a little while? What is it you want me to feel guilty for? You want to spit on Jesus' blood right now, or what do you want to do? Let's have a chat. You see? I don't care how big of a strong a spirit of religion they're carrying. All they're going to do is mess with the cross for you. So you need to have understanding of Calvary. Do you see how important it is? We're in a Reformation. We're in the early stages. Can you see the war coming? You better know the cross. Or you'll be right tucked right back in there under guilt and condemnation. They'll get you. Trust me, the devil's good at it. He's had a lot of practice. We need to know who we are. We need to know what Christ has done. It's so important. So God wants to erect this, this mountain in the earth, and he's doing her. So to believe is to have works or fruit of our faith. The subjective re, uh, um, reality of information. You have to have the subjective reality of the information that you know, right? How do I know believers but by the fruit of how they live? 
Do they live like they've seen the cross? Or are they still living and just giving agreement with the cross, but they live before the cross, full of guilt and condemnation? Do you see the difference? That's fruit. Fruit is, I believe them. Does that make sense? What's Jesus looking for when he looks at the fig tree? He doesn't care about the fig tree. He wants to see the fruit. So if he's looking at the cross, it's a function. The cross isn't something standing on a hill. It's a function. See, we're, we're crossing culture here into Hebrew. He wants to see fruit, function. It's not worth anything. He'll curse it. Isn't it funny that in some, most, a lot of translations, it's actually not called a cross. It's called a tree. He hung on a tree. That's kind of cool, isn't it? He hung on a tree. Why? To bear fruit. It's language. To bear fruit. The early church didn't carry crosses around on their necks. That would be you and I wearing electric chairs for necklaces. Kind of cool, right? Jesus didn't invent the cross. He just planned the time of it. Yeah, it would be kind of cool. I should get one of those, see if I can get it made. To believe as a Greek is to try and agree with some information. Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago. I can almost see it. Yeah, there it is. There's a place. In fact, you know what? We're going to go there and stand on the hill. Go, wow, there it is. That's it. I believe in that. That doesn't help you. That's nothing. I don't need to go there to see it. I need to bear the fruit of it. What does the cross mean to me? What's the function of the, of the tree and the death? Can you see it in me? If you see it in me, then it's bearing fruit. To believe as a Hebrew is to be the reflection or living out a choice I embraced. You see that? A reflection of my belief, of my choices. I must bear fruit of it. That's what God's looking for. He plants a seed called Calvary, and he looks to see the fruit on that tree. And if there's no fruit on the tree, what the heck was that all about? Right? Is this making sense? So our ultimate goal is to walk in love. Our ultimate goal is to come into the fullness of this thing called love. Because in the fullness, I won't need to prophesy. All will know God. I won't need to speak in tongues. What for? You see? Those things were all just tools and things to get us somewhere. But ultimately, it's to live in love, in the power of love. So let me talk about just a quick second about the scroll. I'll give you a couple of scriptures. Psalm 40, 6-9 says, Sacrifice and meal offerings you have not desired. This is in the book of Psalms. David, my ears you've opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you don't, you've not required. Wow, David. Buddy, that's some pretty serious language there in the Old Testament, isn't it? What do you think they're doing all around him right now? And he says, 
my ears you have opened. Lights come to me. He goes, burnt offering and sin offering you've not required. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I've proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, you know. Revelation 20 says in verse 12 and 13, it says, I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and listen to this, and scrolls were opened. And then it goes, another scroll was opened too. This is the scroll of life. And the dead were judged on the basis of what was written in the scrolls. You were judged based on what's written in the scrolls. Not the scroll of life. You notice there's scrolls and there's a scroll of life. The scroll of life, we know, is if your name's on the written on the... My name's written on the roll, right? There's scrolls. Those are what God has put in you, who you are. There are scrolls for Canada. There's a scroll about Canada. You can read it throughout the whole Old Testament. It says, this is the scroll of the kings. This is the scroll of this. This is the scroll of that. What, what is that? I see a scroll flying through the air. You see, and he's, it's about what's happening there, the destruction that's coming. There's a scroll written, and we're judged based on what we've done. Do you know there is a judgment for us? There's a judgment for the lost, which is about the fact that they didn't receive Christ. But the judgment for us is what you did or didn't do with what's inside you. It doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. But it will mean where you're going to be in heaven. It's based on fruit. Some had 30-fold, some had 60, some had 100. It's based on fruit. We must produce fruit of what we believe. So the scrolls inside you, what God has written, and you've been in agreement with of what He wants to fulfill in your life and walk through you, and that's what he's, we're responsible for, is to live that out. Psalms 139.16. We know Psalm 139, how fearfully and wonderfully we're made. It says, your eyes saw my embryo, and on your scroll every day was written that was being formed for me before any one of them had yet happened. So it's his scroll of me. His scroll of me. Every day of my life has been written on it. Every day of your life is written when you were an embryo inside the womb. So let, let's look for a second at eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the last things, right? Did you know that it's actually all about Jesus? It's not about you. 
It's not about the church. It's not even about the world. It's about Jesus. He's the summing up of everything. He holds everything together. This is Scripture. He holds all things together. The Old Covenant looked ahead at Jesus. The New Covenant, we look back, try to understand Him, right? But it's all the central part of it is Christ. So every time you look at Scripture, you have to interpret it through Jesus in order to understand it. You can't isolate an event. You must pull it through Jesus. In other words, we can't isolate the Antichrist. We can't isolate Armageddon. You can't isolate the rapture. You must put it through Jesus to see what it really is saying. What we've had is a lot of isolations. People writing things based on isolations. They isolate something without even understanding it. Then they create a theology. Then they write a book, and then we all run along behind the book in fear. You see what's happened? Greek. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20 says, Therefore, as many as are the promises of God, are all, they all find their yes in Jesus. All promises of God are yes in Jesus. See how it's all in Christ. Everything. Everything God did. He's the mystic secret of God is Jesus Christ. Acts 3.20 and 21 says, And that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the holy prophets from ancient time. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus isn't coming back. Until when? The restoration of all things. He's in heaven. I know this is probably the first time you've ever heard this. But here it is in Acts 3, verse 20 and 21. Everything that's ever been prophesied through the mouth of the prophet, including everything that's ever been written down as prophecy in the Bible, it will all come about before Jesus leaves heaven. Until everything is restored into the order that God intended it, until all the prophecies are fulfilled, Jesus will remain in heaven and he'll only come back when it's finished. He can't come back till it's all done. He's already said this to us. And then he'll come. So, he's going to do this before he comes. He's going to fulfill and restore all things. That's a powerful thing. That doesn't work well with the tribulation, does it? Mark 16, 19 says, So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. He was received into heaven, and what happened? He sat on a throne. He was enthroned. The right hand of God is the power. 
All power, all authority is in Christ. Okay, God put it in Him. It says, it means He's ruling. You are reigning from the place God is of ultimate authority and power. And He will not leave this spot until all things are restored. That's what the Scripture is telling you. Now, this is not the gospel that we've been told because we've been taught defeat and escape. How does that work? That means He can never come back. How can He come back? How are things going to be restored when we want to escape and we don't give a rip? You see how that, that, that whole teaching is anti-Christ? It's not Christ. It's anti-Christ. It is a doctrine of a demon. It's false teaching to keep us from fulfilling what God has called us to do. Destiny. That anthem we were listening to. The anthem. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 to 27. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. True? You ever heard that scripture? The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. Jesus will return and abolish death. Death is his last enemy. Now, I'm going to come back to a moment to show you what that means, the footstool thing. You know, where it says that he will place uh, all his enemies under his footstool. Do you ever think, what is a footstool? Do you ever think about his feet? What's he talking about? Function. Remember function. Not form. Function. I did a study before I went to sleep last night and pulled all these scriptures up on footstool throughout the Old Testament. Oh boy, that was fun. That was real fun. I'm having fun. Ephesians 1, 20 and 20 to 22, which he brought, the Father brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, far above, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, all things, in subjection under his feet. And he gave him as head over all things to the church. So where is Jesus right now? In this age, he's on a throne with all authority, far above any powers. Jesus is the head. Where's his body? It's us. Who's his feet? We are. You're his feet. You're the feet of the one on the throne in complete authority over all powers. There's no war. 
there's no arm wrestle match here. He is far, the Father said, far above all power, all authority, even in this age and the age to come. He's completely in charge on the throne. Now, that just us huddling in the corner waiting for an airplane just doesn't seem to fit with this guy, does it? We're trying to escape because the devil's taken over. Well, where did he get all the power and what throne's he sitting on? He's not sitting on no throne. How can he have any th- authority when the one that has all authority is on a throne? A throne is, is a function. Forget the chair, it's a function. Complete authority. You've got to catch this to see who Jesus is. Remember, the whole thing starts and ends in Christ. So we can understand the, pro- the plan of God and what He expects of you and I. I want to bear fruit. I don't want to be that fig tree. I'm, you know what I mean? I don't want to stand around. I've studied the Scripture, God. I can quote it backwards, forwards. Man, I have, I have a gift. I've memorized the thing. He goes, yeah, but where's the apples, dude? Where's the apples? I want to see it. God gave him his head over all things to the church. Now we need to look at this footstool. It's prophetic language. So we'll understand. In Ephesians 3.10, it says that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known, where? Through the church. The word manifold there means multicolored, multifaceted. Multifaceted church. That's what God wants to do. Make it known. To who? to the rulers, the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in, in accordance with the eternal purpose which God carried out in Christ. So his eternal purpose was to manifest and demonstrate his wisdom. And he accomplished that in Christ through the church. So, God has a plan right from the beginning, to reveal himself through the many-faceted, many-multicolored church. His wisdom and authority. So how does that look? What does that mean? So the letter in the Hebrews, and I'm almost finished. To the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 10, it says, But when you, the priest, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. This is Jesus. And since that time, are you ready? Since what time? Since the time he sat down at the right side of the Father. Since that time, he waits. God is waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever those 
who are being made holy. One sacrifice for all time. And what is he doing? He sat down by the Father, and what is he doing? He's waiting. For what? You and me. Where is he going to demonstrate his power in the, on the throne? Through you. He's not waiting for you to get good enough. He just did that. That's cleared up. It was never about being good. It was about changing lands. Greeks coming out of the whole demonic realm of darkness into the light. Understanding the latter Christ and what God's doing in you and I. He has complete authority. He's waiting to demonstrate it through you. Now, if I'm the devil, what's the best thing I can do? Because I'm done, right? It says he put the devil to open shame at the cross. Completely defeated him. That means he dragged him through the street. It's done. Now, what the heck are we doing? Wrestling a dead man with no authority. The only authority he's got is what you're giving him. And what we've done is created, he's created a theology where we hide and wait to escape the big bad wolf who's taken over the world. Where did the, could you give me the scriptures, please? Where here he's saying he's waiting for us. He's waiting, it says. For his enemies to be made his footstool. Now we're going to talk about the footstool. By one sacrifice, he cleared it up, grafted us back in. He made the covenant through Abraham, not a political, normal country in the world. But the faith of Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. Look into the sky, right? Psalm 137, let us enter his dwelling, let us worship at his footstool. Matthew 5.35, the tree of living version. By the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet. The earth is his footstool. By Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. That's us on the earth. So where does he want to subject them? Under our feet, on the earth. Not in heaven, on the earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? Under your footstool, even as it is in the heavenly realm. The Darby version says, let us go into his habitation. Let us worship at his footstool. Isaiah 66, 1 says, The Lord says, Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house can you build for me? In what place will I rest? Genesis 6, or 9, sorry, verse 7. Be fertile then. And multiply, abound on earth, and subdue it. This is what he told Adam and Eve. 
Now, you want to know something about Hebrew again? Time's not linear. It's a circle. Alpha and omega. The beginning and the end. It's a circle of time. So what he's saying is, as it was in the beginning, so shall it be at the end. I'm showing you something God's asking of you. That's it. To subdue the earth. That's what he's waiting for you to do. Not hide in a corner and wait for an escape to go somewhere. He wants the earth back. So he says to Adam and Eve in Genesis, go, be fruitful, fertile, and multiply and subdue the earth. Then he's waiting in, the ch- in heaven now, in his place of complete authority, of which we're now a part of. Remember what I said, I'm in Christ, Christ is in me, and we're one. And he's waiting for us now, footstool being the earth, remember, to subdue the enemies in the earth under his feet. And he will not re- return. It says that he went to heaven and he will not, he, it says in one place, he's held back or resisted until all the prophetic, everything that was ever said is fulfilled. Then he will return. Then he'll come. He's here with us now, and he wants us to bring the kingdom to the whole planet. So we need to start thinking about taking nations. We need to start thinking about taking down the mountains. Let's take entertainment. Let's take media. Let's take education. Let's bring the kingdom to the earth. Another lie we've been told, separate religion and state. You don't do that. David didn't do that. Was David separating religion, his relationship with God, and his authority as a king? No. That was a lie. It's a lie, so you don't mess around. You let them do their thing. You see that? So, the kingdom, which is a culture, is not defeat and escape. Jesus is a king. He has a government, and it has no end, it says. So, Jesus is wanting us to understand the kingdom and this is just touching on an iceberg today. If we're the Titanic, we just seen it. That's all. It goes way down under the water. There's so much to this thing. We need to get into the Word of God and begin to look at Hebrew, not the language, the culture. Um, Mike Parsons talked about um, if you want to understand God, you must under- understand covenant language. He always speaks through covenant language. If you don't understand it, you will not know what he's talking about because he's always referring to covenant, always. Everything he does, he made a covenant with uh, Abraham. He made a covenant with Noah. Jesus broke covenant on the cross. We are a covenant people with Christ. Blood was always shed. We need to understand what that means in order to be able to perceive the Scripture. So a lot of the things that we've been told have been told completely as a form. 
you will see this, you will see that, you will see this. But the problem is you've got to look into, the again, the function. So the sun, the moon, and the stars are about government, governing light. You see that? It has nothing to do with what we've been told. We, I wished we had a Hebrew guy that understood what it is to be Jewish. And we could ask him questions. What did Jesus mean by this? Because right away he'll go, oh, that's what this means. I mean, when he, he says that he kneeled down and he started to write in the sand in front of the lady that had been caught in adultery, her place, like he, it's like being in front of a, a prostitution house. And he's writing in the sand. We don't understand what he's really doing. Because we're not Jewish. Jews did. Right away they knew what he was talking about. There's somewhere in the Bible that talks about him writing their names. So he started writing their names. No wonder they got the heck out of there. There was something completely he was doing there because he was moving in Jewish culture. We just hear, I've taught it in... a couple of different ways over my time as a Christian. Right? But how did I understand? I understand it as Greek. So all this stuff is about light. Progressive light. God wants to take us from where we are. If we're in the outer court, God wants to bring us into the holy place and shut the door. That means you will no longer be able to cling to the natural understanding. You're going to have to cling to the seven spirits of God. The spirit of wisdom. The spirit of knowledge, revelation. Counsel. Might. Fear. We're going to need these things. So they give us understanding. And what is their purpose, do you suppose? Their purpose is to bring us into greater light. The greater light being the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah glory isn't uh, just a bright light, as we might think. You know what I mean? When we think of light, we think of uh, uh, light in a room. But it's not. It's the all-knowing, all-seeing one in your midst. You're standing in complete light. The other day I caught a glimpse just for half a second when I was laying on the couch before I went to bed. And for just a quick second, I was in the throne room walking up to the Father. And for a split moment, and I mean it was ever so slight, I knew what it was like and that sounds, sounds so funny. It's not even a second of time. I mean, I don't even know how to measure it. And yet, you know what? God can do a lot in a split moment. He can jam the universe into that. I had this sense of what it was like to be approaching somebody that knew everything about me every thought I've ever had, everything I've ever did, even before I was in a body, knew everything about me. 
That's called transparency and vulnerability. And yet, he was my father. He loved me with such intensity that I found my rest in being known. Think on that. I found my sense of being and identity in being seen. What is it when God, you catch a glimpse of God or comes, presence comes into your life, he brings inner healing, he does all these things, you find out about forgiveness. But what's happening is you're left sometimes with this memory of a mom and her child, love. And in that place of love, there's acceptance, right? There's an acceptance there, isn't there? Well, as I was approaching for a split second, I was in the, well, I'll call it the fullness. It's probably not even close. Pretty full for me. Of recognizing I was in the beloved and I was fully known. When I see him, it says, I will know as I've been known. That's the Shekinah glory. That's that room. That's the room in front of us, guys. We're moving into the room to be taught by the seven spirits of God that will give us light and prepare us to enter into Father. That's where we're going. And God has a goal. The human race. They're of great value to him. Every single living, breathing person is of great value to him. Make sense? Let's rip Scripture apart. Challenge everything you believe by the Word of God. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Search. Seek. You need this. It will help set you free. And the seven spirits of God, they will help you. They will help you on this journey. Because I believe that's where we are. If we've just got inside the door, God hasn't even got the door completely closed because I'm still finding, right, we're still finding some security out there, right, in the outer court, in the natural understanding. Believe it or not. Because as soon as he goes to fully close the door, you begin to get a little nervous. Because you can't go back. You can't go back. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing, amazing love. I thank you, Father, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that none would perish, but all would come to different mindsets, a transformation, a renewal, a repentance, turn around. We would be awakened and taken and led by the Spirit of truth into all truth. That we would go from glory to glory to glory. That we'd be transformed as we look into the face of God. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us by training us with the menorah, the seven spirits of God, bringing us through this part of the journey, helping us all to let go of the mindsets of the outer court. And it's not going to be easy for some of us. I mean, we were brought up with that bottle sticking in our mouth. But Lord, we lay it down before you. Say, Father, teach me. Bring us and prepare us to enter through into the Holy of Holies, into the Shekinah glory of God, our Dad, that we might know as we've been known that we might live out the scrolls that are within our lives and bear fruit for eternity. That, Lord, we might see this earth and the fullness thereof belonging to our King Jesus. Lord, that we would be about the Father preparing for the coming of the King. Lord, help us to see that we walk in all authority, all power in you. Help us begin to recognize inside the holy place that ability. So that the sick may be healed. The brokenhearted may be restored. And that we might preach the acceptable day of the Lord, the good news of the kingdom. Kingdom. We bless you today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.